It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast. Welcome to spring, everybody. I'm your host, Pearson Fallon. With me, as always, from Gamecock Central, obviously, Chris Clark, Wes Mitchell, who are currently hammering away feverishly at their keyboards. They got to watch the first three segments. Sounds like the most riveting three segments we've ever seen of any South Carolina practice, spring or otherwise. And frankly, it sounds like y'all's fingers are about to fall off because you can't get all of your compelling thoughts on the page fast enough, guys. Welcome to spring. How does it feel? It's here. It doesn't feel like it's here, but no. it is here. <laughs> no. It sort of snuck up on us, and then it happened, and it was very quick, and now we're here. <laughs> now there we're you go. talking about it. It's right, a yeah. lot different. Yeah, y'all than, don't sound too excited about it. No, I mean, it's a lot different than yeah. back in the day. You know, we used to, whether it was spring or, like, preseason practice in August, there were some, you know, like, I remember August practices under Steve Spurrier were, like, at night. What, at like 7 West or something like that? Mm, very Six, atmospheric. 7, something like that. And so you get people it was behind an the vent. Yeah, you get people behind the bushes tailgating, drinking some beer. Drinking some beer. We would take our tailgating chairs out there because we could literally stay the entire practice. And it would be like they were all open. Mm-hmm. Like almost all of them or all of them. A distant so, memory. Yeah, <laughs> it is a distant memory. It's a lot <laughs> different now. But y'all still got to see some of it. You got to watch yeah. guys run around. What are they in shells today? They're in no, just shorts and just shirt. shorts and shirts, shorts and yeah, jersey. Right. So they look jersey. extra fast, extra <laughs> explosive, extra lean. Paul Jackson's strength and conditioning program has already started to pay dividends over the course of a couple of months. Uh, I kid, of course, a little bit because there's only so much that we can learn from spring practice, especially from the little bits that we in the media are allowed to watch. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, spring is still here, and this is a huge spring for South Carolina because obviously. They need to do a lot of things better to improve on a 4-8 and eight season from last year, and they've lost some key pieces. Will Muschamp talked in his press conference yesterday. He kind of identified the key areas where South Carolina needs to get better. He talked about turnover margin. He talked about explosive plays. He talked about field position. He talked about red zone efficiency. He talked about, uh, what was the other one? Uh, fourth quarter, like being outscored 100-46 to 46 in the fourth quarter, excluding the Charleston Southern game or something like yeah. that. So basically, Carolina needs to do everything better, and it starts this spring with just the fundamentals. Well, the interesting thing is that is also um, Muschamp's five key pillars to success. Um, the areas he said that they need to get better in are literally the five areas that he identified um, extremely early on in his tenure as just analytically uh, or statistically. If you do these things, you win. If you win these five areas you're going to win the football game almost every single time. And um I used to I used to track it a little bit better than I did this past season, but you know, if you if you go through and look at South Carolina's games, um when they win three or four of those five areas, they generally, you know, win the football game. Yeah. So well, Will Muschamp tracked those numbers. I was surprised, not surprised that he had them at the ready, but I was surprised at how one to one they seemed to be. He said South Carolina won the turnover margin in four of their five games, or excuse me, in five games, they won four of those five games. Mm-hmm. And they were even or lost a turnover margin in seven games, and they lost all seven of those games. And I think it was the exact same ratio with explosive plays. They won the explosive plays margin in five games, won four of them, lost it in seven, and lost all seven of those games, which I, I could have easily gone back and done this research, but I didn't, so hopefully one of you did. Do you know the game that South Carolina won the explosive play margin and lost and the turnover margin that they won and lost the game anyway? Oh God! I don't let let me effort that. I'll be the, uh, you know, Polly or whoever. Does I'm thinking all the maybe Florida was one of them because that was a game where Carolina played well for most of it. Now I don't know if that would have been explosive plays or turnovers. I'm just no because they, they then they they turned it over. They had the Alinsky fumble. Seems like there was another turnover in that game. Now they got, Jamie Robinson also had an interception. Um, but that. I don't, I don't know. We'll, I don't we'll know. Let point Chris, is, Chris yeah. will effort it, and we'll vamp yep. in the meantime. But I'll point is, he's identified these areas where South Carolina needs to get better. We're a long way away from knowing whether or not South Carolina will actually improve in those areas, or even whether what we can see in practice, what we can glean from what the coaches tell us, 
will give us any indication of whether or not that's going to get better. So what we're going to do today is we're going to take a step back and we're going to kind of go through position group by position group and see what Carolina has this spring, see where they need to get better, see what their chances are, and then maybe towards the end of spring we'll have some better idea of what that looks like in aggregate and whether or not South Carolina can actually improve in some of those areas. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing about some of those areas, at least for me, um, you know, I question as you go through all five areas, are these sort of the the cause or, mm. you know, the effect? And I, I think um, is maybe the best way I can say it. Um, look at explosive plays. Um, you know, are do you get do you have more explosive plays just because, hey, you're you're a better football team um, and you have more guys that can make explosive plays or is that something you can somehow you know, try to try to manufacture. Um, I, I think if you look at certainly with situational stuff like red zone, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's something you can put all the emphasis in the world on those particular scenarios because it actually is a facet of the game where um, even the math of the game, like the metrics of the game change because you're dealing with a much smaller area of the field. So um, you're running different plays, you're running different concepts, um, you're looking, if you're on defense, you're looking for different plays, different concepts. So um, you can put more emphasis on those things. But then a lot of teams put emphasis on, on red zone. That's not anything new. So I, I, I just I wonder with those things, is it just about, hey, if you're a better football team, you're probably going to be better in these areas, and then you'll probably have, you know, will have won more games, or is it that you can actually get better in all these areas? And then, because we, we do know they emphasize turnovers. Um some analytics will tell you that turnovers um, are more random than any coach ever wants to admit, mm-hmm. especially um, fumbles. Yeah, so you know, we, and but we saw we saw early on in the Muschamp era, uh, the first two years, the fact that they created so many turnovers, um, I believe, was the single biggest reason they won as many games as they did in the first two years. Mm-hmm. They um, they had more turnovers caused than any other team in the SEC. If you combine their first two years, that that Muschamp was here, so um, it, it dropped off a, a bit after that. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting uh, place to take it. It's an interesting sort of um, scorecard to sort of tell you where you are as a, as a program. But I wonder which side of the line those things fall on. And and Muschamp, you know, twenty seventeen was the year that they were really exceptional at it, and. Yeah, you know, I've talked to some people around the program, like in hindsight, about that 2017 year, and the feeling was, interestingly, that like they weren't that good of a team. You know, it was a little bit of smoke and mirrors, and the schedule wasn't as difficult as say 2020, but or 2019 or 2020 probably. But they won. You know, they were able to go win nine games that year, and a lot of it had to do with the fact of they had a very positive turnover. I can't remember what it was, but a very positive turnover margin. For really that entire season, and you know they're even they're able to go beat Michigan at the end of the year, all those things. Um, and Muschamp, when asked about it, you know the the sort of drop off from 2017 to 18, and even he's talked about a little 19. It's sort of why did that happen? He chalks it up to, you know, we had a lot of veteran players in 2017. Talked about Sky Moore. Obviously, he was pretty adept at creating turnovers. The pass game. Um, even, you know, they had Taylor Stallworth, Yorick Jones, some guys that have been around for a while. So, you know, I think some of it is – I mean, obviously, to get an interception, a lot of times – sometimes you need the quarterback to throw the ball to you. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, to make a bad read. Sometimes you got to go make a great play on the ball or bait a guy, or sometimes you got to get a ball that's tipped and then you intercept it. And that's a little Fumbles. more predictable, a little easier yeah. to manufacture because it's a combination yeah. of obviously good coverage with pressuring right. the quarterback. And, and, like, yeah, there's some quarterbacks that just don't throw interceptions. But that that's less right. random than fumbles. But the other – part of that equation is that it's all a precarious balancing act because, and I, I didn't, again, I didn't have this number at the ready, but Will Muschamp did, so I appreciate him coming to the press conference prepared yesterday. <laughs> Even though South Carolina wasn't great in turnover margin last year, offensively, they didn't turn the ball over a whole lot. I think mm. he said just 14 times for the entire season, so barely over one turnover a game. That's not a bad mark at all. I don't think it's elite. I don't know where that would rank in the 130 teams in major college football, but certainly in the top half, I would imagine that's not a bad number. South Carolina needs to duplicate that, or replicate that, rather, and just get more production from the defense. So it's like, yeah, turnover margin wasn't good, but the offense really held up their end of the bargain last year. Despite, I mean, that was the only thing the offense did well. In terms of, yeah. That? Well, you know. And ran the ball well for the first eight games of the With season. consistency, yeah. yeah. And, and, I mean, 
that is the biggest thing. And I think a lot of some some of the turnovers are very untimely, you know, in terms of when they happened or where they happened. I mean, you think about, you know, I mean, the, the last drive of the UNC game, obviously you're pressing there a little bit of an mm-hmm. interception to end the game. And then you look at, uh, you know, the Missouri game, for instance, you have a, the, the fumbleception, whatever that was, or the, the – Well, you have the pick six and the – the fumble recovery. and the pick six, you know, when you're driving down. So those are, you know, what a brutal game that was. That's yeah. more nice. when you throw a a hundred yard or whatever it ended up being pick six. That's a little bit more. You know, you will lose every game you throw a hundred yard pick six. Probably yeah. anecdotally, but yeah. I'm pretty yeah. sure that would be borne out statistically. Yeah. What um. All right. Where do y'all think the turnovers lost? Um, where do you think that actually ranks? I've turnovers got lost fourteen. Yeah. Over the course of the entire season, in the country. I would say, yeah, in the country. I would say top thirty. Chris, you agree? Let's say number forty-two, tied for twentieth oh. in the country. How how many fum- or how many turnovers lost do you think the team that has the best, like the least in the country last year, had? It's crazy. Six, four. Wow, six. Oh, six. Cool. Very nice. Who nope. was that? Was that Air Force or something? Oregon State. Okay. Ah, huh. well coached bunch. <laughs> now, a lot of these, uh, a lot of the Scrappy. option teams end up having a lot of fumbles. Mm. Um, it seems, but Oregon State, I never. Wow, App State was third in the country. Alabama fourth. Alabama was the best in the SEC. Well, Carolina turnovers lost. Didn't they turn out turn Alabama over twice? They had a fumble, right? Uh, two fumbles? Maybe I'm totally making that up. It's so weird. The football. We're what three months removed from the football season, and I can't remember a single thing that happened. <laughs> it's last a season. distant memory. I'm just like all. I'm just all basketball in my brain. Uh, so sorry, I'm I'm probably just saying wrong things that happened last season. But yeah, I mean that's why this is so difficult because that part of it's good. So if you're South Carolina, you got to hope that that part of the turnover equation isn't random, and that's something that you can continue to do well this year. And and frankly, and we're about to talk about it. We'll start with the offense as we go, sort of position group by position group. South Carolina is returning enough offensively that you would like to think that that's something that wouldn't be crazy. Like that, it's it's weird because going from twenty. 18, where the offense was pretty good, averaging, what, like 30 points a game. It seemed like they were bringing back enough that the offense should have gotten better in 2019, and then obviously ended up just being one of the worst offenses I can ever remember watching at South Carolina. So I can make the same argument. Oh, you're bringing back four offensive linemen. You're bringing back a starting quarterback. You're bringing back, you know, a a talented freshman running back and a five-star guy. And, yeah, you got some questions at receiver, but the offense stands to, you know, get better just because you hope for some – like like a standard progression of the talent of some of those guys, but I guess what I've learned is is not to have too much faith in South Carolina's uh, football team and offense in particular trending with any sort of like consistent project uh, uh, consistent projection. But regardless, you want to keep that up. Defense needs to be better. Before we get into the position group by position group breakdown, like I said, y'all got to see the first three segments of practice this morning. Any notable observations? Um. You know, I think, uh, like you said, they're not they're not in pads or anything yet. Um, I, I tried to pay attention to the newcomers, which is something we always do. Uh, you know, I, I think first of all, Marshawn Lloyd. Um, not that we got to see him really, frankly, do anything as far as like plays go, but right. just the the physical presence um, is obvious and and expected, but sort of confirmed. Um, he's uh, he's not the tallest kid but he's just very thick bulky muscular build um one of these guys is going to have a you know a great low center of gravity and you know and if you look at his high school tape um it, it sort of works into his favor I, I think and running backs really the probably the only position I, I think in football that height really I think truly just doesn't matter and um you know I, I think Lloyd was Lloyd's probably the guy I was most interested in kind of getting a, a look at. We we got to look at Luke Doty just sort of throwing uh, you know with with Mike Bobo and the quarterbacks. Um you know but but th- those were I guess the things that that at least caught my eye a little bit. I know Chris you you were watching the the new offensive lineman a little bit. Yeah, I got to check those guys out. They have of course uh, Justin Turnatine or Turnatine. Always mess that up. Wait, we, time. we had we had we found the correct iteration and now I'm sort of you know doubting See, myself. See, if you would have just confidently said it, no one. I think would it's turn time actually. Turn-a-tine? I think it just came to me. Um, so yeah, Jason turns. I mean, he's gigantic. <laughs> he, this guy is absolutely huge and he can move. You know, Will Muschamp really raved about him on 
Tuesday during his press conference talking about how, you know, just the, the, the staff had been very impressed with his offseason program and how, you know, just how he moves for his size. I mean, the guy's 6'7 or 6'8, and was he listed 340, 330, 340? So the next Corey something. Robinson. Um, it's, well, that was one. Wes heard that comparison. Corey Robinson, you know, another one that we heard when he was getting recruited was Trent Brown, mm. who was at Georgia Military, also a huge, you know, human eclipse type guy. And, um, you know, Trent Brown, interestingly, uh, was recruited to Florida by Muschamp, and then he played for a time for Eric Wolford with the 49ers. And then Trent Brown ended up being the highest-paid offensive lineman ever in NFL history. So, Jason Turnatine has a lot to live up to. There I'm just go. kidding. He's not going to be – we don't know that he's going to – but he's going to get a look. Uh, Vershawn Lee, athletic guy from Virginia, former basketball player. Um, and then Trey Jones – so there are four, not three. Trey Jones from Abbeville is a guy who obviously moves very well, and Tyshawn Wanamaker is a really big guard, I think guard type. Uh, so got to watch them a little bit. Um, watching Lloyd run around a little bit, catch some passses. You know, Any back looks flips? the part. No backflips. They probably prohibit him, probably made probably him retire. Probably a good idea not to allow um, yeah, they back don't. flips. I, I, I watched – oh, one more I was going to say. I watched the Bucks a little bit. Um, I know we were talking because, about this a couple weeks ago. I was saying I learned how to do a backflip, and then I was I'm I'm doing uh, bad podcasting right now and showing Wes and Chris a video of me doing a backflip this weekend because I learned how to do it because I saw Marshawn Lloyd do it and I was like that's super cool I need to that's pretty impressive how to do that so good stuff so there you go maybe I'll post that in one of the you should can, yeah can I put yeah I guess I'll post it in like the thread or something so people sure. can know what I'm talking about yeah into a foam pit so I got to work on doing it on the ground I haven't done it on the ground in like six months so I probably forgot mm, you got to land it. Yeah, got to stick the landing. But, uh, yeah, no backflips for Marshawn Lloyd. Yeah, so the Bucks, you know, that was one I wanted to watch a little bit because, obviously, DJ Wanham no longer on the roster, so it'll be up to, you know, Jordan Birch, obviously, is going to get a look when he arrives, but he's not here. And so Brad What, he's not here? Brad is he Johnson, even coming to South Carolina? Has yes. he sent in his letter of intent yet, Chris? It's done. Where's Jordan Birch? Where is he right now? <laughs> Sorry, I'm doing it. No, in anticipation it, of everybody else. He's sort probably of an accurate at Hammond yeah. School right now, I would hope. Yeah, he's right? probably in yeah, probably in D period right now. It's ten thirty. If the schedule's still the same as when I was there, he's in D period right now, I think. Yeah, so um anyway, Bucks. <laughs> uh Bucks. Rod, Rod Fitton sort of flashed a little bit of me, just watching him in drills. Um he's a pretty rocked up guy. He's athletic, you know. I know they they'd compared him sort of to Bryson Allen Williams mm. when he first got on campus. So he's what does got rocked up mean? sort of twitch. Just jacked. Okay, cool. Yeah. I never jacked. heard that expression. I remember, like, it, Wes and I were covering a camp, I think, like a summer camp last year, and we saw, we were like, who is this guy? Like, and he was just huge. So Rod Fitton's an interesting one. And then, um, you know, Brad Johnson, Joseph Anderson was working with the Edge guys. So um, I, I got to see some. I got else. something to add there. I'm wondering, you know, I was looking at Joseph Anderson. I, I think he slimmed up yeah. a little bit. Yeah. I looking at him. That. And. You know, the defensive end spot um, is really sort of like in a good spot. You got Aaron Sterling coming back. You got J.J. Mm-hmm. Nagbari coming back. You have other guys who can play that position. The buck spot is wide open, completely wide open, I think. And just looking at, at Joe Anderson, um, I, I know he actually took some reps last year in practice at the buck and had worked in there. This is a kid that a lot of people thought was going to maybe even grow into a defensive tackle. Um, like Chris said, he's with the edge guys right now. I'm wondering, you know, we didn't really get like a sense of a depth chart at all. They didn't line up for a play. Um, sometimes first 15, you can actually get that on defense. We didn't get that this time. I'm wondering if Joe Anderson doesn't factor in at the buck position and that becomes just an all out battle. Now, if he, you know, if he wins the job, then, you know, he plays there. If he doesn't, he could always, you know, be a backup at, at the other sort of defensive end spot. But, um, yeah, I thought it was interesting getting back to the press conference as well as far as stuff we've learned this week that, you know, that was something that was just never confirmed, partially because Jordan Birch didn't do interviews. Um, you know, most guys, you have a good feel for how they're going to fit in because you interview them. You say, hey, you know, what are the coaches telling you? Where are you going to play? Where are you going to fit? Um, some services even have Jordan Birch listed as a defensive tackle now. Mm-hmm. I I never agreed with that take. Um you know, I, I I think he's a defensive end, um, or you know, Buck in South Carolina scheme potentially. But um, that was interesting to see Muschamp confirm 
on Tuesday that that that's the plan for him. Yeah. Um. You know he'll be coached by Mike Peterson at, at that position, and um, I, I think it's a fit, especially when you look at the the fact that uh, South Carolina is in pretty good shape at that spot opposite of of the buck. Definitely. Well, and I, I think the other thing that it says is that the staff probably feels pretty comfortable about his ability to come in and contribute right away. Obviously not necessarily you know playing 60 snaps a game, but it, it, seem, it seems like they're doing that because if he's playing the buck, he can play buck at 265 or 270 where he is right now, whereas mm-hmm. if he's going to be a true defensive end, hand in the dirt, you know, 100% of his snaps, he's probably going to need to be closer to you know 290, you would think, with his frame. And obviously you want to be careful bulking him up because you don't want to you don't want him to lose his speed and, and what he can bring as a, as an edge rusher, but I mean that like you're saying it's it's a perfect fit just in terms of where his body is right now. And again, it wouldn't be crazy if it was like okay, bring him in if we think he's a true defensive end. You know, maybe he plays a little bit, but maybe we try to preserve that red shirt, bulk him up a little bit, and then you know have him factor in a little more heavily the next year. But that's like no, 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 like everything that he brings, like ready to go. Like his his body is tailor made for that position. So uh, you know it'll be interesting to see when he is asked to play coverage. Like he's never had to do that before. What does that look like? There's the process of him learning that. I asked Eric Kimmery yesterday, I was like, did he ever play coverage on a single snap as long as you coached him? He was like, nah. But yeah. also I was like, yeah, you know, he's smart enough to pick it up, which obviously if the coaching staff didn't think he could do it, they wouldn't ask him to do it. But it's it's just, you know, probably a different exercise for a guy that's been on the line and in, in less in space for his entire career. Yeah, and I actually caught that segment um, yesterday. And I two things, I, I think, you know, first of all, I think a lot of people have sort of, you see Jordan listed at like 275, um, and I know Kimry said he's probably 265, 270 right now. You see him listed at that, and there's an assumption, oh, well, he's going to easily put on 25 pounds, and he's going to be an interior player. Well, first of all, w- when I have watched him play football, watched him play basketball, watched him in camp settings as well, to me, from a just body type standpoint, I think he's going to drop weight pretty quickly when he gets to South Carolina. Um you know, so if, he's gonna be playing safety by his senior year, is what you're telling me. No, I'm saying I, I think, I think relatively quickly he'll drop down into probably the 250 something range, and then we'll add it back probably relatively quickly in muscle um, as well. I think there's a sort of opportunity for him to reshape his body a bit, and then you know the buck position, it really there he's not gonna be out there playing man to man coverage on slot receivers, you know. Yeah, that position at times has some coverage responsibilities, but I mean, what if you went back and looked at the percentages? Most of the time, that spot is rushing. You know, the passer. That spot yeah. is, mm-hmm. is is playing even when they're in a three man front, and that spot's a linebacker. Um, they're coming off the edge, or they're coming. What do you call it? The spinner um, position. Yeah, where they're coming, so they're they're basically in the middle of the field. As they look yeah. like a middle linebacker. For mm-hmm. where they're lined up, but um, you're just trying to get penetration up the middle. Basically, there are times when that spot sort of is out in the flat, mm-hmm. and but they're they're playing a flat zone coverage. You know, you're not going to see him. I would say, I don't want to say never, but you're running probably, stride for stride. You're probably going to see him a carry, dozen times in, in man coverage, and it'll just be with a tight end or something. No, I would say. Fewer than so two th- times. Th- there's like I've, some... I've never seen. I've, I don't know if I've ever seen the buck carrying the tight end Vertical. down the scene. No, 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 no. Fifteen. You know that, that doesn't happen. There's, it's not a man cover spot. When they drop back, it's either you're dropping back like some type of fire zone where um, you know you've done a zone blitz, or every now and then they have that look where um, basically he's spread all the way out into the flat, and you're trying to um, for one uh, sort of jam. That you actually will see sometimes the buck jam the wide receiver out there, but then he's not carrying with the wide receiver down the field. He's staying out in in the flat. So I, I think the fact that it's called the buck, um, as far as what they'll be asking him to do, is probably a, a bit overblown there. And there's sometimes like there's a play, we diagram the play on Gamecock Central with Bryson Allen Williams last year, where in the Alabama, you know, Najee Harris annihilated South Carolina in the past game last year. Um, and so there was one play that Bama just had on a good a good play against the defense, and basically they got Najee Harris isolated on they DJ just, Wanham on DJ on Wanham. the touchdown pass where he hurdled whomever. Yes, yeah, yes. So he basically so DJ 
you know, dropped back and ended up it ended up to where he had the back and they sort of they sort of walled him off a little bit and so he had to get on his horse and try to, you know, chase the back. And Wanham's an athletic dude and a smart dude and he saw it, but you know, just he's Najee Harris. I mean, he's five star running back, so got there and then he did the rest. But that's a play in those situations, those few times you might have that, Jordan Birch is an elite athlete. You know, he's a guy that has a chance of staying stride for stride with a guy like that. And then, he, you know, you put on his pass rush ability and um, all the different things he can do, and, and that's why it works out so well. And it, his ability to run in the open field yeah, um, is insane. I mean, he, and he played he played running back. He played wide receiver, you know, some. I mean, we had somebody when, when he was in camp – um, the seven on seven camp a couple of years ago, um, somebody came up to me and Chris and was like, "That guy could be an NFL tight end if that's what he wanted to be." So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think it's a good fit, and it and it fits for what South Carolina's returning personnel is on on defense because that's you know it hasn't really been talked about a lot, but that position to me is one of your biggest questions on defense. Mm-hmm. I I know they they need if you look at last year the spot on defense, you say, "Man, they got to be better at that spot." Is safety. But I think there are actually some pieces now uh, in the defensive backfield where um, they have a chance to be good in the secondary. Right. You look at the other defensive line spots, you feel pretty good about it. You look at the other linebacker spots, you feel pretty good. The buck is the one spot where you're saying somebody has to step up. Mm-hmm. Well, and we'll get there. Before, you know, I don't mind talking about Birch extensively because, again, he is not on campus right now. He's not participating in spring. So this is a farther off projection to basically preseason camp and the early part of the season. But do you have any more thoughts from anything that you saw this morning? Anybody that looked interesting, running around, moving before we get into? I don't a think we got to see enough. Yeah, you know, if we got to see a little seven on seven, well, how does Joiner look? I don't know. And Carolina we will have him. a couple more spring practices yeah. before we talk again next Wednesday because today we're recording this on Wednesday, so they have practice. Is it Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, or Wednesday, Friday, Saturday? Uh, no practice tomorrow. Yeah, so Wednesday, sure, so. Friday, Saturday, and then they'll have at least one or two more by the time we talk next week. So. Probably a, a few more opportunities to see some interesting things in those early parts of practice. So we'll have more actual eyeball tests next Wednesday. But as today is the first day of spring practice, we're going to go through every single position and give, I don't know, basically a depth chart. Just kind of talk about what the status of this position is in spring. So excluding guys that are not participating in spring, if South Carolina were to have, if the spring game were against another team, which I think would be a cool and fun and interesting fun. idea. Yeah, what would the depth chart look like? And we'll start with the offense, and we'll start with quarterbacks. Ryan Helensky is full go in spring. He had his scope. He was fine. Got his knee cleaned up. He's good to go. DeKaron Jordan is wide receiver. Jake Bentley transferred. Colin Hill is out rehabbing his ACL injury. Correct. So is Luke Doty taking the second-string quarterback snaps this spring? Would be him or Jay Yurt. Mm-hmm. Um, Who also played some wide receiver last year. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I, I think day, day one... It's probably Helensky, Yurik, Doty, right? Because you know, you, one, yeah, yeah. You want your freshman to um, have to sort of work his way up, but but yeah, I mean, I I think that actually works out very well for for Luke and that he's going to get a ton of reps this spring. You sort of get thrown into the fire, um, you know. And the quarterbacks, I, I think, having to do some more under center stuff to sort of work on that footwork stuff. It, it's a big spring for them. Uh, mentally learning the scheme, learning some of that. You know, we were when we were watching today. Bobo seemed we couldn't even hear from the distance we were at. Uh, just watching the body language, they were focused on footwork a lot when they were going through just some very very early warm up type stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think that's the order now. You know, by the spring uh, game, does it look a little bit different potentially? But I would say that's where it is right now. So where are y'all? I'm Ryan Helensky. This is his second spring. Obviously, a lot of what we saw his freshman year in terms of how we assess him as a quarterback was clouded by the fact that he had at least an injury, maybe multiple injuries, the severity of which we will never precisely know how much it affected him, how much of it was pain, how much of it you know actually affected his mobility and things like that. But this is his second spring. This is huge for him, and he is... I mean, he's the starter. It will take something heroic from Luke Doty or Colin Hill to supplant him. Not to say that it won't happen, but given the gap he has in experience, the fact that he was the starter for South Carolina all of last season, it's his to lose. So how important is this spring for him, and where are you on him? I think it's a huge spring for Ryan. Um, 
new scheme, you know, new um, new concepts. Um, you're going under center. I would imagine. I mean, they did that a little bit last year. Don't get me wrong, but uh, for the most part, um, you didn't really do it in in high school. I, I don't believe in that scheme. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's massive for him just to get comfortable with Mike Bobo as his quarterbacks coach to get comfortable with him as a play caller and get comfortable with the scheme, the new terminology, you know, his wide receivers, all that stuff. Um, you know, I think if Colin Hill was going through the spring, um, you know, I, I think there's even more of a sense of urgency there because he he's going to have a feel for, um, you know, what this scheme is all about. He's going to have a feel for what particular things matter most to, to Mike Bobo in any particular given situation. And, um, you know, it, it's – I think Kalinsky gets a little bit of a head start on um, Colin Hill because of the fact he's able to go through spring practice. But, um, you know, I, I don't get the sense Colin Hill came in just to be a backup. Now, would would he be a great backup as a veteran guy who could you could feel comfortable coming in if needed? Absolutely. But um, I, I think it's going to be an interesting competition. And at the end of the day, that's a good thing for Ryan Helensky. I, I think he needs someone, you know, to sort of push him um, to to that next level as a quarterback, and I, I think um, he can lean on what happened last year. He can lean on the experience he got last year, and um, you know they they obviously are going to need a little bit more consistency out out of him this year. I think some potential for the Tavian Feaster effect, where you just bring in somebody that's that's veteran that has experience. And in the case of Tavian, it was experience winning. In the case of Colin Hill, it's experience under Mike Bobo's system could ultimately be the best thing for Ryan. But have y'all heard anything from around the program that that there's a sense that, I mean, how open is this quarterback battle ultimately going to be? Again, Colin Hill not being in spring, I think does make a difference, especially for the early part of the season, but going forward? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a real battle, honestly. I mean, Colin Hill uh, is a uh, has an NFL-level arm. Like, this guy um, is a big-bodied. Now, he, he's not going to run it. You know, he's not a guy that's going to bring much to the table as far as that goes, but... Um, can you know throw the cliche at you he can make all the throws but Mm -hmm. um you know this guy's legitimately coming in to try and win the job and I I think what you what you hope is that it sort of forces Helensky to just take ownership of this team now if you exit the spring saying this is Ryan Helensky's football team not just his offense this is his group you know from a leadership standpoint Mm -hmm. then it probably makes it very hard for anybody else to to take that right. come fall. But, and Hill rehabbing that injury, I think, yeah, gives you a lot of reason for the, optimism that Helensky could take that step. The, the door is open for him to do that. Now, if if they get to the end of the spring and you still are hearing stuff like, you know, we need this, we need that out of the quarterback position, then I, I think it becomes a, a real competition and, um, you know, and, and Hill becomes very much um, in that battle, I think. I, as much as we've heard lots of positive things about Luke Doty, and as high as I am on Luke Doty as far as the future, I think it'd be tough, considering the experience of those other two guys, it'd be tough for him to just straight up win the job and mm-hmm. get in on that competition this fall. Easy redshirt year, but still big for him to come in, get some experience, get that spring under his belt. The skill positions on offense are fascinating for different reasons. The running back room is significantly depleted. You lose Tavian Feaster, you lose Rico Dowdle, you lose Von Denson, you lose A.J. Turner. I still throw him in the running back room, even though he didn't have a single carry last year, right? Or did he have Correct. one? I don't think he did, did he? I don't think he had a carry. Did A.J. have a carry, Chris? I can see the I wheels look, churning in there. I yeah, really I looked at the other day. Uh, I don't think so, but he might. Point is, I'm still considering couple. him an honorary running back because I was always a big A.J. fan, and I hate that it didn't <laughs> pan out for him better. But you bring in Marshawn Lloyd. Uh, uh, are, are Amos or... Um, Quandre Quandre White. Quandre White. Early Summer, guys. No, Summer, guys. Summer guys. Summer guys. Yeah. So it's just Marshawn Lloyd, Kevin Harris, Deshaun Fenwick this spring in the running back room. Scholarship running back. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that that's Marshawn Lloyd. That's his time. Now, yeah. the, I guess the X factor there is last year Kevin Harris could bench press or squat six hundred pounds. Is Paul Jackson going to get him to seven hundred? And what is that going to do for his ability to run the football? <laughs> and what does squatting seven hundred pounds look like? That that would be a good uh, a lot of plates. That's Justin like that's like the King bar video. bending. Yeah, the bar the bar is just dying um, on either side. But but yeah, I I mean, Marshawn Lloyd. I 
I think is your game as we get way ahead of ourselves is your game one starter. Like that's a position you can come in and play if you're good enough. This guy is just different. He's built different, and I mean that both physically and mentally. Um, he sort of has come in with an approach of I'm here to prove myself, not, hey, I'm a five-star, so everybody better already know that, um, which is always good when you're recruiting a guy that's so highly recruited or have landed a guy that's so highly recruited. Um, the the other X factor in all this for me is Zaquandre White. And – you know, getting him in school, getting him qualified, um, I, I believe is a need for South Carolina. I've heard that, you know, he's a guy who can come in and potentially push Lloyd and Kevin Harris for for the top spot as well. We've all seen you need you need a few backs that you can count on to at least go play well. I, I think the the question for me or the hope for the Carolina staff is can Lloyd be that true difference maker at running back that South Carolina, um, you know, ha- has sort of lacked. We, we talked about it the going into last year that they had yet to sort of land that difference maker at that position. Taven Feaster, Rico Daddle were both very good when they had room to operate last year. But to, to take an offense to the next level, if you look to me at the great offenses in college football today, almost all of them have a running back that can make plays for you that can extend plays that can turn a one yard you know run into a four yard run that can turn a no yard gain into a one and a half yard the the Marcus Lattimore effect um as a play caller as a quarterback as an offense as a whole to me there's nothing that helps you better than having a running back who can take what's there and tack on a couple of extra yards for you behind him Sean Fenwick and Kevin Harris have obviously been in the program. They're going to have an experience edge over Rashad Amos and Zaquandre White. Do you think them being there in the spring, obviously they're going to be duking it out for two and three if we're talking about the spring depth chart, but does either one of those guys have a realistic shot at being the number two guy even after you bring in those other two highly rated guys later in the summer? And if, and if so, which one? Sean Fenwick White had, had more carries than Kevin Harris last year. Did you know that? Yeah. One the, more carry. Yeah. So, so <laughs> you're asking if 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 Fenwick or Harris can be number two? Even yeah, the, after the, one White of those Amos. guys is going to yeah. be number two, and one's going to be number three this spring. But can they do enough this spring to actually be the number two guy on opening day? Yeah, I mean, I, man, I think it'll be close. Yes, I, I, I say, thank you. Thank I say you. White. You know, I have heard Fenwick had a pretty good off season. But for Fenwick, it's it's always sort of like a prove-it thing because he'll do some good things and he shows ability, and we know he has ability, but he's got to be more consistent. You know, that's just the thing that they've been harping on for so long. And when he first got to Carolina, it was about him maturing just physically and uh, work ethic-wise and all those things, and he made some strides there. And he's seen the field a little bit, but he's always had some guys ahead of him. So um, Harris, you know, he – He's battled, you know, he had an injury last year. I think he's battled a couple nagging things. He's he's healthy to start the spring, and he's a guy with ability too. I think Harris is maybe a little bit more situational, you know, as a guy. And White at this point may be a little bit more situational. You know, he's he's maybe a guy that he's talented enough to maybe go be your starter if you want, but I think they're going to look to get him into situations, get him on the edge where he can run and things like that. So The Jarvis Giles type. That, that, <laughs> that's the reason I said it may be close in that – you know, you may see a lead dog, a Marshawn Lloyd, for example. That's who we think it'll be. And then you may see, you know, maybe not a huge drop-off in carries between whoever the number two and the, and the number three is. But um, I, if I had to sort of handicap it, I'd say, you know, honestly, the two newcomers, well, there's three newcomers, but I think Lloyd and then White may have the best shot, you know, to be one and two. But I think Fenwick and Harris are, are definitely going to be in there. I just I have the most conviction about Lloyd probably ending up as the starter. At this yeah, so point. it's not too strong a statement to say the number one running back spot is Lloyd's to lose already. I don't think it's no, no. I mean, I I don't He's think just, I don't think you're gonna get Will Muschamp to say that officially. You no, know, I, I don't think that's like the officially. <laughs> no. I, I just a coach is never gonna think like that, right? But as far as just us talking about it. I mean, just the buzz you hear about this dude. Mm-hmm. If he's, I just, I feel like if he's healthy, when South Carolina, even I know we're not talking about the fall, but when they when they run out there, the first running back to take a carry this year 
I feel like it's going to be Marshawn Lloyd. I don't know when that officially becomes the case. I doubt he was taking first-team reps today. You know, he's probably taking third-team reps today. But the cream rises to the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I mean, it's like, it's like your, your road to the Heisman in NCAA football. You always start as the third string, and then, like, by the fourth practice, you're the first string. I remember when I've, – I've said this, you know, used this example several times, but when, when Lattimore got on campus in 2010, he was not an early enrollee, so this is fall practice. But, you know, everybody saw him. Everybody, oh, there's Marcus Lattimore. You know, what's he going to be like? And we got to see him, and he looked good. But then we started hearing from within the program that this guy's the best back. You know, it's not close. Now, we haven't heard that yet. They, they just started practice today. But we have heard that the offseason that he had and what he's shown, the the limited stuff they can do in the offseason, that he's been really impressive. And then you match that with, like, his high school tape and, and you know, what he did there. And you can get a pretty good sense of how good a guy can be. And I think they've already, you know, gotten a, a pretty good idea of what they've got in Marshawn. I'm excited to see and hear what we're going to see and hear from Marshawn Lloyd throughout the course of the spring. The next skill position group, and y'all got to piece up on Gamecock Central right now, the most intriguing position for Gamecock football this spring. I heartily agree with you. By the way, for those of you that haven't read it, Go to GamecockCentral.com and read it. Is this a subscriber piece or is this a free piece? It's a subscriber piece. Ooh, all right. So how can people subscribe to Gamecock Central if they want to read this awesome piece? Uh, Type in Gamecock's promo, 50% off your first year. Boom! Or Or GC Pod. GC Pod for all the beautiful podcast listeners. It is a lesser option. It's 30 days for free, but... But you know, you if, if you're if you're not sure if you're ready to make a, a very fair, very reasonable, and very worthwhile investment, and you want a trial period, you can do that. Yeah. for thirty days free. I assume there's probably a way to game the system there as well, but just sign up for Gamecocks. Yeah, there's so much good stuff. Basketball's going on, baseball's going on, spring's going on. You don't want to miss everything. I got Wes and Chris's thoughts on what they saw today, but there are a lot of practices in between the days that we podcast, and they're going to be doing it every time there is practice to be watched by the media or otherwise, and if you don't want to miss any of that, GamecockCentral.com is your hub for all that. So go ahead and subscribe. Use the exclusive podcast code or whatever you need to do, but just get on GamecockCentral.com. Go read this piece. We'll do our own version of it here. The most intriguing position for Gamecock football this spring is the wide receivers. You lose Brian Edwards, who has most of the receiving records in school history. He's cemented his legacy in the Pantheon. I don't know. He's top four, top six, seven receivers, whatever. Of all time, I still think he has the greatest catch I've ever seen in the history of South Carolina football. And you're bringing back, I don't know, almost nothing. I guess Shai Smith, who's like your theoretical best guy coming back, but he had such an underwhelming campaign last season. I don't really know what that means. You have Xavier Leggett, whose physical promise is still certainly there and, and came on and was able to work his way into more playing time as a freshman, which is good. You have to carry on Joyner, who's seen the field a lot in pressure positions, not necessarily at wide receivers. So how does that factor in? You have Josh Van coming back off of a broken hand, a guy with a lot of upside, a guy that you know West thought was going to be a breakout guy for Carolina last year. Obviously, his season's cut short by that hand injury. There's there's just a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot up yeah. in the air, a lot of potential for guys to come in and just say this is this position is mine. I, I wouldn't even say it's a shoehorn that if you told me this time, not even this time next year, if you told me by the end of this football season that Shai Smith was like the third most productive receiver for Carolina this year, that would not shock me, just because there's so many question marks there. Yeah, and I think, you know, you you look at the group and there's some talent there. Like, I don't even think you look at it and go, there's just no talent here. Like, I don't look at it that way. I just look at a group of guys where you got to ter- somehow turn that potential into production. And so, no, you don't have a guy. You know, South Carolina's lost two of the rece- best receivers in school history the past two years back-to-back with, you know, Debo Samuel and then Brian Edwards rolling off the roster. and think if you look back at the Spurrier era they would lose a really good receiver and then somebody would step up you know and become that top guy and they were generally pretty good but you know they also had a really good defense during the height of those years they also had really good quarterback play they had a bunch of different yeah, receivers. Was what, like that Alshon had, to ace to Bruce right and, and, and it was guys that like had Alshon had to ace to Bruce some, to Pharaoh right yeah. and it was guys that had played and sort of come up so they still have some guys that have played some ball um, and I'm not saying any of the guys on the current roster are as good as any of those players that we mentioned because right now there's not evidence of that. But they do have potential. I mean, Shai Smith has shown he can be a game-breaker. Can he be consistent? That's the question. Josh Van, I'm still convinced, has a lot of ability. But as Pearson, I'm sure you're about to point out, led the SEC in drops. 
<laughs> and only had like he had fewer right. than forty targets last year. Right. But you know, and the crazy thing about that is in high school he was like touted for his hands. I mean he had really good hands. So he just had a bad sophomore slump. Much mental as anything. It's right. mental, yeah. Xavier Leggett never played receiver before last year. He has a huge upside, a big guy that can run. You know, DeCarion Joyner is a very interesting option there. So, I mean, they have – or Trey Smith, you know, a guy that was injured, caught 30 balls as a freshman and looked pretty good. So they just have so many question marks. And, number one, can they stay healthy? Number two, you know, what's the rest of the team look like around them in terms of quarterback play protection, play calling, all these different things. But um, it, it, I, I think if you're taking maybe some hope – in it um you, you go there is some talent here but the the flip side of that the reason for to for some pessimism is to go there's nobody that's really really proven here and so that's the question that they're going to have to solve throughout spring summer and and then preseason so the spring's going to be really big for everybody on the roster if south carolina's spring game were against another team who would be the starting we'll do starting three receivers because we'll say carolina's an 11 personnel who are the three receivers lining up to start for Carolina? I would probably say Shai Smith or Trey Smith. Xavier Leggett, maybe. Chris? Are you playing Shai in the slot? Yeah. Or outside? That That's sort of been my question is do you – because Shai's worked at both. Do you play him outside? Do you play him in the slot? I think the ideal situation is to play him in the slot. You know, because that's when you get some matchups. You can run him. He's really adept at that slot fade type route. You can get him over the middle, let him catch the ball, let him run. So, yeah, I think if that's your sort of configuration, then, yeah, I think Josh Van would probably be the fourth guy maybe or maybe even sneak into the third somewhere. Um, and Or to carry on joiner. To carry on joiner, I'm, I'm really intrigued by him too. But I think he's just going to need – if the question, if the spring game, you know, so we're not even going all the way into the season, I think Joyner's still going to need some adjustment time because, you know, he bounced back and forth a little last year, and then he was injured for part of the time. So he's missing – not only is he not getting game reps at receiver, he's not even getting practice reps some weeks. Or he's working at quarterback when he when he's injured. So I, I'm with you on that, I think. Fascinating. It's anybody's spring, and I think that's going to go into the summer, and I think that's going to go into preseason camp and probably go into the season as well. But that's the position group that I think we're all going to be watching most eagerly in the spring. Uh, next up, this one is, I think, simultaneously the least interesting position to talk about in the spring and does have some intrigue because going into the 2020 season, Nick Muse is going to be the number one option at tight end for South Carolina. He's obviously missing the spring with the ACL injury. So what's happening now over the course of the next couple of weeks is a battle for who is going to be Nick Muse's backup at the beginning of the season. How do you see this panning out? That's a good question. Um, I, I think it's a big spring for, for Keyshawn Tony. It's a big spring uh, for Trey Kenyon. Uh, you know, Kevion Mullen's working there now as well. I, I think that's interesting. I, I think um, I wonder how his size, if he's big enough to sort of be an every-down type tight end or if it's more just um, he's a tight end by name, but he's sort of a wide receiver playing tight end. Um does Adam Prentice, the transfer fullback, get some time, you know, as tight end? When I was watching Colorado State um, last year, or clips from Colorado State last year, he uh, they moved their fullbacks and H-backs and tight ends around a lot um, and put them at various spots. So I think that's a, a factor there. Then you got uh, Chandler Farrell, who played tight end um, in somewhat blocking situations last year, but then other times, um, true tight end as well so um always looks funny to see him rumbling downfield though just because he has more of a traditional offensive lineman body he's what is he six one or six two right like it's it's just when, when he got, goes in looks there like a center well it, yeah it, it's <laughs> a com- it's a combination of that and the fact that he was wearing number 31 i don't know if he switched jerseys uh this offseason but whenever you see 31 running you're like what i've never even seen that number on a football field yeah so you know i, I think it's it's very much wide open as far as like behind Nick Muse. Um, I mean, what do you think, Chris? Yeah, and we, man, we keep getting ahead of ourselves. I think these two freshmen that enroll in the summer are going to get a big look with Shaw and Bell. Yeah, I and mean, Eric Shaw is a freak. <laughs> so now, now they'll they'll be a little behind the curve in terms of blocking and all that. But um, 
But yeah, we, we we need to keep it. I need to stop getting on summer or preseason ball, and we'll get to that when we get to it. But yeah, for the spring, I mean, I think it's behind Muse, who, as you said, is missing the spring. It's wide open. I mean, so I think it's going to be big for all of those guys. Um, they'll right. you know they'll be working with Joe Cox, and I think there's some. You feel a little bit better about the pass catching aspect. I think you got Mullins, who's a converted wide receiver. You got Kenyon, who was a really good receiver in high school, um, from his tight end position. So. I think it's just going to be about bringing along, you know, the inline blocker. I mean, Muschamp mentioned Will Register yesterday, and to date, he hasn't made a big impact. He's played special teams some, so does he work in there a little bit more as that blocker type? Maybe. Make a pick. Backup, primary no, no, backup. Your number one tight end at the end of spring. At the end of spring, still Nick Muse, um, but <laughs> yeah. the number, the second yeah, guy. Yeah, for this imaginary game that they're playing against. Uh, um, they're, ha- they're playing against Purdue for some reason. I just decided that. I have I have mine. Well, I got it. a good feeling about Keyshawn Tony. Keyshawn Tony, just I see because that. Yeah. I think he's got a little bit more of that um, blocking edge to him. Mm-hmm. And if you look at Bobo's tight ends traditionally, um, you know, go back to even his Georgia days. They've had to been able to block. Now, he's had some freaks at tight end that could go out and, and make plays for you. Uh, but it was more off the play-action game, getting them open down the seam, stuff like that. Um, I think Keyshawn Tony probably fits some of the things they're going to be looking for at that spot. Um, not as dynamic as the other guys, but for what they're looking for. Um, either him, yeah, I'm just going to say him, but it, it also depends on how much Adam Prentice plays at like tight end versus fullback I think yeah I think in certain it, it'll depend on package really and we're, we're not I'm not trying to go that it'll be close or what uh, hedge my bets type her out but I mean Muschamp specifically mentioned that yesterday about playing Prentice in the certain roles so I think him in situations but um oh my god I would have to go with Wes I mean Tony Kenyon would be maybe my my backup to the backup just because I, I like his potential as a as a uh, pass catcher, but I, I think the blocking element is certainly going to be big. All right. You have your predictions in, and if you're wrong, we will rake you over the coals at the end of spring practice. That sounds good. Not that there's going to be yep. any like depth chart or anything like that necessarily that, that will mean anything. The position group that we'll probably be able to learn the least about, frankly, over the course of spring is going to be the offensive line because, I mean, you're limited in terms of what you're doing, in terms of the amount. I mean, you only have 14 practices left, and they're not in pads yet, and they're going to have a few more that are – not in pads, I would imagine. I guess I don't know the exact schedule, but it's going to be hard to learn a lot about the offensive line, but this is a really intriguing position group going forward. You lose Donnell Stanley. That's it. <laughs> um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that was it. Not even any, any backups. You got a lot of guys returning with experience. There yeah. was you know injuries and things that had a bunch of different guys playing in a bunch of different positions. We'll just jump to the starting five because that will I think spur a lot of discussion and we'll start we'll start with 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 Wes Wes I just combine both of you so that way I don't have to commit to starting with either one of you uh Wes seems to need less time to compile these things in his head so I'll give you time to think about it Chris Wes <laughs> left Man. well no <laughs> I said I was a, a slow thinker <laughs> you're no. just more careful about these things you're you're terrified of being wrong which is why you have to hedge everything with it's close Wes doesn't no. mind just throwing out some Flaming Hot Takes, yeah. <laughs> brought to you by Flaming Hot Cheetos. Wesley, Ooh, go left idea. or right. I know, right? Yeah. Flaming Hot Take. Uh, go left or right and give me your starting offensive line for South Carolina at the end of spring. Let me just say that it's going to be close. Okay, um, good. Yeah, I appreciate that, that hedge. Yeah. And, right. uh, but we also have to put it out there that Dylan Wanham will not exactly. be able to practice. So, yeah. again, this is another situation where it's going to be different in the fall. Um, I'm going to say... Ja'Kai Moore is your starter at left tackle at the end of the spring. That Sedarius Hutcherson is your starter at left guard. That uh, I'm going to circle back to center. Uh, Javon Gwynn is your starter at right guard. He needs time to think about center. Just point um, that out. Yeah. Jalen Nichols is your starter at right tackle. And your starting center is? Hank Chris Manos. Clark. Hank Manos? Yes. Cool. Now, I got a, I got a question for Wes. Was your was it between Manos and Murphy or Manos Murphy and Eric Douglas? I've got Eric, I almost went Eric Douglas. Okay. I think I, it's gonna be. 
I very like I was very close. Eric Douglas started at the beginning of the year yeah. last year. Yeah. So did Hank Manos. So that that's wide open. You could always slide Javon Gwynn to uh to, you know to center potentially as well. Um and I, they 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 may would put Hutcherson at left tackle now because Wanham's not in there, but I I ultimately believe that Hutcherson's best spot is inside at guard. And I think And Jalen Rhodes is your sixth guy, your swing guard? Jordan Rhodes, yes. Um I think they have enough guys at tackle to feel comfortable playing Hutch at guard. And then that actually gives you the freedom to maybe play one of these other guards at center mm. if needed. And then we know Wanham's going to be a starter ultimately at one tackle spot. So basically, Ja'Kai, Jalen Nichols, Jasmine Turner. Yeah, that, that, I wanted to give Chris some time just to see if he would work up that. the courage to put Turnatine as a starter at the end of spring. You know, so it, it helped with a Juco guy to actually be able to go through spring as well. I think that's. That's huge. That, I mean, that was uh, that was the case with Dennis Daly because he got a spring, right? Didn't he enroll early? He, he didn't. Oh, he didn't he even didn't enroll, enroll early. early okay. and then still took over yeah. the starting spot. Mm-hmm. What a couple of games yeah, into two games in or his three junior games year. In. Yeah, yeah, um, that was a great pickup for them. He was he was awesome. Yeah, so that's where I'm at right now. I I think the good thing for them about the O line is there are a lot of options. So, um, and it's a domino effect where one guy plays will sort of affect the other spot. Um, so it is hard to project, but yeah, that that's where I have it right now. You ready? Yeah. Um, I'm going to be with Wes on Ja'Kai Moore at left tackle. Left guard, Hutcherson. That's pretty easy, I think. I mean, unless you wanted to put Hutcherson at center and put Jordan Rhodes at left guard or something. <sighs> but uh, We've never heard about Hutch cross-training at center, though. No, know? but just as a guy that has experience, as a guy that... Yeah, has played everywhere on the line. I think and he'll sort of be your veteran down leader. A guard spot. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, I think so too. I'm just throwing a wrench in there because you got to figure out that center spot. The toughest one's center because you got you know at least three candidates. And man, I just have the this the Vincent Murphy. I know they really liked out of high school. He just wasn't. I guess he just wasn't quite ready last year. Neither was Hank Manos. Neither was Eric Douglas at guard. So you got some guys that you got two guys that have played some. Hank's played some. Douglas has played a decent amount, and he played on special teams. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Douglas for spring ball, but I think Murphy may eventually make a move. Cool. And, and I wouldn't rule out Manos. I just I'm just talking about. <laughs> Upside wise. So your third pick is Wes's first pick, and that's why I like doing this podcast. Right. Um, right guard, I'll go with Gwen. And Jordan Rhodes is very close in there. You know, like if Gwen messes up, hey, Jordan, go in. Uh, right tackle, Jalen Nichols. I just, I don't feel good about center at all. I'm almost just like guessing on it. Mm. But I don't even know if Eric Wolford could be like, yeah, this is, it's, it's this guy by far. It, it just, it doesn't really seem like that right now. It's kind of unfortunate. I mean, the Dylan Wanham's missing the spring because that does complicate the issue a little bit, especially the way that we're having this conversation and also that there is, I don't want to say so little to be learned, but I guess less to be learned, like I said, about the offensive line than any other position group over the course of the spring. And for Carolina, it's it's good and it's bad because, like I said, you have guys that have a lot of experience but not a ton of experience, just guys that have played in a couple games here and there, you know, in the case of, like, I don't know how many, off the top of my head, how many games Jalen Nichols and Ja'Kai Moore played last year, but I'm guessing it's about six each, six and four, seven and five, something like that. I mean, they, they, they played less than half of the season, so they have some experience and they've gotten some meaningful snaps, but it's not a, a boatload of experience, and especially if you're still looking for the anchor. And I guess Sedarius Hutcherson, you know, comes back as, as sort of your emotional anchor your like intellectual anchor in terms of the guy that's going to be the leader on that line and, and you know kind of organize everybody else you would love for that to be coming from your center position and if you want to be worrying about or if you are worried about one position centers i don't know is that the worst position to have so completely up in the air like that or left tackle probably center though yeah pro- probably those two may i mean from a physical standpoint though i i feel like that's the easiest position on the line to play center yeah I mean, you got to, dude, you got to, that's where you sort of, you can hide a guy that's very good mentally, but maybe isn't as big. I mean, you see smaller centers all the time. Like, you, you got to have 
in a perfect world, an athletic freak at left tackle. You got to have some very strong dudes at at each guard spot. I I I think your left tackle is probably not for South Carolina. I'm talking generally. That's the spot where you you'd be most worried about not having a guy. I just I think they have so many because they they cross train kids at center mm-hmm. throughout their career if they think you know. Wolfers talked about that before. You know, we're getting this guy snaps at center in practice. There's so much cross training at that spot. I just think it'll sort of sort itself out um, eventually. And I, you know, is it Eric Douglas? So, uh, you know, like we, like I said earlier, you could slide Javon Gwynn. If you think Jordan Rhodes is a starting guard, you sign slide Javon Gwynn to to center. You would um, slide Gwynn more than Hutcherson. Yes. Uh, to me, that seems like what they did with Stanley last year, though. It's like they needed some. But Stanley had played, he had played center. His, well, but like what you're saying is, is they, they cross train everybody, and you can kind of stick anyone in that position. Sounds like they should just put to carry on Joiner there. <laughs> That's not what I said. But, <laughs> but Hutch, what I said. why why would you slide Hutcherson out of a spot that he can firmly just lock down? And you feel sure? The, I mean, he's an but NFL for the guard. exact same reason you did that with Stanley last year. But Stanley is Stanley is a guard. Stanley. I mean that's not. I wouldn't say that. I you think, say he's more of a center than a guard. I think he played. I think he played better at center personally. What's he playing now? Uh, get ready for the draft. Yeah, but I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like what? Like in the NFL, he's going to be a guard. He's not going to be a center. We don't know that. Why Do not? We know that? I don't know. I just I just feel like he's a guard. But huh? it was it was out of necessity. <laughs> I just feel like that's what he is. I have no because I, I don't know. I guess because that's where they wanted to start the season with him. I I, I think. You whatever offensive line you start with, that's what the coaching staff feels like is the is kind of the best position for all those guys. And then you scramble based on need. Like if they thought Donald Stanley was the best option at center, wouldn't they have started him at center? They feel like he's probably a, a better guard. The point is, they needed leadership. They needed an anchor at the center of the offensive line. So they took their most veteran guy, their most experienced guy. You're the guy that's calling out the coverages most of the time. You're the guy that's having to you know pick up on on a lot of the you know whatever the defense is doing and communicate that to the rest of the guys. Don't you want your most veteran guy there? Not if he hasn't played the position and he's played uh, yeah. he's played tackle or guard his entire career. Like I, I feel like you're you're trying to reinvent the wheel if you do it in this case. With with Stanley, it was an easy move because he's played center a ton in his career. And they they thought Hank Manos was ready to take over that spot at the beginning of last year and then proved that he he wasn't. Mm-hmm. So then you move him back, solidify it, and you had you had a lot of young newcomers around Stanley as well so it it helped to have that guy in the middle who could direct traffic I guess so to speak around him and it it just made sense but I don't think it would make sense to worsen one of your other positions when Hutch has proved clearly and I, I thought he was okay he was solid as left tackle but I think he's firmly proven as a guard in this league and you can really just lock down one of those spots I I really think center will work itself out. I it is hard uh, to predict exactly which guy, but that's a good thing in this case because I think there are multiple options. All right, well let me let me say it like this, just to further confuse things. If even even though he hasn't played there, and I don't think this is I don't think this is in the cards from everything that we've heard from everything that you guys have said, this is not going to happen. But I just wonder when you have a position like that that's so up in the air, if Sedarius Hutcherson just by virtue of being big and strong and having played offensive line for a long time now, is 10% better, just 10% better than any of the three options that South Carolina has at center right now. And he's 10% better than Jordan Rose at left guard. Do you think they would go with 90% of what they could have at center for 100% at left guard, or do you think they move their 100% option to center and have 90% at left guard? I think they keep Hutch at left guard. Same. Cool. All right. I I'm think just, we're I'm just trying. I'm just trying to stir things up here. You, you've done well. Good. Good. And I don't think so, so. I don't think I think they'll feel like Hutch is probably more than ten percent better at whoever at guard. Cool. And um, the other thing is, you know, I don't think that South Carolina, whoever starts at center out of one of those three guys, and maybe heck, maybe they do say this isn't working. We got to move somebody else other than these three guys to center then um, they may, you know, maybe they got to move somebody over. But 
if it doesn't work with one of those three guys, then you have more of a problem. Also, don't think that any of those three guys is going to be, say, one of the best centers in the country. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of them are going to be as good as Donnell was last year at center, mm-hmm. right? But if they can find a guy that they feel good about, right. that's really the key. And fortunately, um, what we just learned from Wes is that center doesn't matter, so they can just put anybody right. in there. So that's exactly. that's great news for South Carolina as they try to figure out the offensive line this spring. The great twister of words, yes. Pearson Fowler. Everyone. I do it for a living. So we're <laughs> just over an hour, and we haven't touched the defense yet. So let's Ooh. save that for next week. We'll have more spring yes. thoughts. We'll go Sounds through good. position by position, do the exact same thing, kind of what is the depth chart, what would be the starting group and all the backups for this imaginary South Carolina-Purdue game that's going to happen in the middle of April. I would love if that was a real thing. That'd be great. I wish they did spring scrimmages like that. That would be That'd be a lot of fun. I wonder who the starting punter. That's something else you have to Ooh, talk yeah, about. Yeah, okay. We'll do defense starting and special teams next week. At the end of spring. Mm, right. Because they won't have, they won't have Mitch Kai Jeter. Kroger. Or Kai Kro- uh, Mitch yeah. Jeter's the kicker. Kai Kroger's yeah. the punter. Got it. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll have all that, plus a few more observations since there will have been at least a few more spring practices between now and next Wednesday. And if y'all don't want to wait until next Wednesday to get updates, you don't have to. Just go to GamecockCentral.com, read everything that Wes and Chris and Colin and everybody over there is going to be posting in terms of updates, in terms of thoughts, developments, any news that we get on injuries or anything like that, all at GamecockCentral.com. And, of course, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Gamecock Central Podcast Network where you get this podcast, Colin and I finishing the basketball season strong, hoping that the basketball season takes our lead and does the same. We'll be back on Thursday. Will Colin and I and Wes, Chris, and I will be back next Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening. Y'all have a good week. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.